Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Timothy Keller of Gospel and Life. Today's topic is Abraham and the Torch. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Timothy. The passage on which the teaching is based is Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, and Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girishites, and the Jebusites. And this is God's word. Now we go back to a series we've been doing, and we're looking in the Bible at persons, people who have had unusual encounters with God, direct encounters with the raw presence of God, and almost in every case, extremely strange and sort of uh, awe-inducing narratives. Most of them are pretty famous. Uh, There's two places where Moses has a face-to-face encounter with the holy, with the presence of God, and one of them is uh, the burning bush, very famous. Another one is where he's up on the mountain and God puts him in the cleft of the rock and the glory of God passes by. Uh, another one, of course, we've already looked at is Jacob wrestling with, uh, with God, wrestling in the dark. Uh, another one which we haven't looked at yet, but it's coming, is Isaiah who comes into the, the temple and, uh, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up and there's smoke and there's earthquake and everything is trembling. These are all, um, oh, I don't know how to put it, I say that they're, they're all sensational and, and perhaps as a result of that, they're all very, very uh, famous. But this situation in which Abraham, one of the great figures of history, 
has a face-to-face meeting with God. It's one of the strangest, it's one of the weirdest of all the stories in the Bible, and it's very, very seldom looked at. It's not very well known. It's not very famous. We're trying to remedy that. Let's just get right into it, and you'll see the relevance of it pretty quickly. In verse 1, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. Now, right away, that you know, raises the question, why is Abram afraid? What's going on? And so we have to step back for just a moment, and we have to ask ourselves, who is Abraham, and what is his relationship with God, and why is he afraid, and why is he struggling, and so on? Now, if you stand back and look at Abram, you see that history of Abraham and uh, God starts back in Genesis chapter 12. And when you read all these chapters in the, this book of the Old Testament, you will see that there's four great crises or thresholds, four great incidents in which God comes in some way or another to Abraham. In the very first one, it's in Genesis chapter 12, in the very beginning, where, and God refers to it here in verse 7. And he says, I came to you, in the first time, when Abraham was living in Ur of the Chaldees. And God comes to Abraham, and this is what he says. He says, Abraham, get out. Get out of your country. It's amazing the way God just, you know, he just rattles them off. Get out of your country, get out of your people, and get out of your family. He says, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's house. He says, I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you. And I want you to go, he says, get out to a land, a place that I will tell you of. And the book of Hebrews says, so Abraham got out, not knowing whither he went. And that was the first. Then later on, when he made this promise to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I want you to get out because I will make a great nation of you. And out of your descendants out of this great nation will come one through whom all the peoples of the world will be blessed. Now that means since Abram got this promise that he would be a great nation, his descendants would be a great nation, that meant, he understood this, that that meant two things. That first of all, God would give him a child. God would have to give him a son if he was going to be a great nation and his descendants were going to be this great people, out of whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. And secondly, uh, he also not only would need a child, he'd need a land. He would have to have a, a place. And so here in Genesis 15, he comes and says, will I have a child? Will I get this land? And God says, yes, but if you look rather carefully, he says, I'll give it to your descendants. If you read all the stuff he says, he says, I'll give it to your descendants. And the fact of the matter is, Abraham never got any land. Abraham never owned any land in his entire life except a little piece of land in which he and his wife were buried. So you see, God says, come out, I will give you a land. But then he says, and, um, uh, well, not exactly you, um, your descendants, about 400 years from now. Then in uh, Genesis 17, Abram comes to God and he says, Lord God, you say you're going to give me a child. We've been waiting for 25 years. I'm 99. My wife is 90. And the Lord says, and? (laughs) Just wait. And then finally a child is born, Isaac. And when we get to Genesis 22, God says to Abram, Abram, take thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and offer him up as a sacrifice to me. Kill him. Now you see... The best way I've ever heard this schematized, and I can't remember who, but I remember once uh, hearing a minister say, he says, well, let me schematize Abram's life. It went like this. God says, I'm going to send you out. And Abram says, 
Where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Right now, just go. And then he says, I will give you a land. And Abram says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wander. And then he says, I'll give you a child. And Abram says, how? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wait. And then finally, God sends a child. And he says, Abraham, kill your child. And Abraham says, why? And God says, I'll tell you later. Walk up the mountain. Take the knife. Take the fire. And in every situation, Abraham passed that threshold. And he triumphed. A very normal guy, a very ordinary person, with lots of weaknesses, as you can see if you read the entire biography, the entire account. But at those critical places, he faced those unbelievable circumstances, and he triumphed. Abraham led a big life. That's the best way I can put it. Abraham led a life of mastery. Circumstances did not master him. He mastered them. Life did not push him around. He mastered life. You know, one of my favorite frightening lines is the place in Macbeth where Shakespeare says, Each new morn, new widows howl, New orphans cry. New sorrows strike heaven on the face. That's life. Each morning, there's new widows, there's new orphans, there's new mourners, new pain, new... Every day, every morning, circumstances come at you. It comes at you. Now, what are you going to do? What's going to happen? Either they're going to knock you over, either they're going to master you, or you're going to master them. How can you master them? How can you be like Abraham? Because, see, that's what Abraham did. Every one of these things that came in, all kinds of circumstances, disappointments, disillusionments, contradictions. He had a life like a real life. At every point, he was able to live a big life, a life of mastery, or another way to put it is a life of faith. Because you see, what did he do? Here's the secret. In verse 6, it says, Abraham believed the Lord. And this was the secret. You see, it's one thing to believe in the Lord, and that's very good. But what Abraham did was he believed the Lord. You see that? See, of course, in order to believe the Lord, you have to believe in the Lord. But you can believe in the Lord and not believe the Lord. What Abraham did was he trusted the promises. He trusted the things God said. No matter what the circumstances, he took hold of them and he trusted them and he based his life on them. And as a result, he lived this big life. And so can you. You see, there's this very interesting passage in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, that refers to Genesis 15, as we're going to see in a minute. It refers back to the fact that God came to Abram and made a promise. And in Hebrews 6, 17, uh, we read, it says, God wants to make the unchanging nature of his purpose clear to the heirs of what was promised. So he confirmed it with an oath that we who have fled to take hold of this hope may be encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. That's a wonderful passage. We have this hope like an anchor for the soul. Now that's what Abram had. Abram took God's promise. He didn't just believe in God, he believed God and he used it as an anchor. Now the reason that uh, the anchor is used here as a metaphor, uh, in Hebrews 6, it says, if you, what, what is your hope? What is your hope? What is the anchor of your soul? What is it that really makes you feel like, boy, I've got confidence to live life? If it is whatever, if it is your job, if it is your looks, 
if it is your talents, if it is a friend. Do you have a friend who's an anchor? The, the, the one thing that makes you feel like that, that will always be there. No, no friend will always be there. No family will always be there. No talent will always be there. Your looks certainly will not always be there. Whatever it is that you put your anchor down into, if it's a circumstance, it's like putting it in the water. All this stuff is water. Everything but the promise of God is water. It's ebbing and flowing. If it looks like it's flowing now, it'll ebb later. That's the way water is. You have got no hope unless you can put it beneath the water into something that's not water. If you anchor your life into circumstances, nothing. You'll be tossed all around. This says the only way that you've got hope is if you anchor it into something that's not a circumstance, something that doesn't change, something that's heavier than heaven and earth, something that will outlast heaven and earth. Not only will it outlast your, uh, your friends, not only will it outlast your looks, your abilities, your job, it will even outlast the rocks at the bottom of Lake Erie. It's the promise of God. And Abram was able to get the anchor of his heart down that far. How did he do it? Well, it happened one day like this. See, in verse 8, he says, and here's, this just goes to show you that he's a human being like all of us. God had given him these promises, and he says, I will give you this land, I will make you a great nation, I will bless all the earth through you, I will give you a child, and I want you to live as if those things are going to happen. No matter what it looks like, no matter what the circumstances, put your anchor down into that. And what does Abram say? He says, okay. He says in verse 8, but how can I know? How can I know? Boy, there's, there's a guy like us. And God says, let me help you get the anchor down. And this is what he does. The first thing is, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, bring me a goat, bring me a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now, what in the world is he doing? And what's interesting here is that Abram, it says, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. What is going on? Now, the reason this sounds so difficult to understand is because we don't live in that day and time. Abraham wasn't even really given instructions. God says, bring me these animals, and Abraham immediately knew what to do with them. He came, and he cut them in pieces, except the small birds, and he laid them out. What's going on? He was doing something that everybody in those days and times would have known, but you and I don't, and so we have to understand. You see, how did they sign a contract? How do we sign a contract? Yesterday I did a wedding, and at the end of any wedding in New York City, uh, at the end of the wedding, you get out a piece of paper, it's called a license, and the bride and the groom sign it. And then the, there's two witnesses that sign it. And then I, the minister, sign it. In a sense, at the wedding, you get up and you make these promises. You say, I take you in plenty and in want, and in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. But you see, what if one of the partners says, how do I know you will deliver these things? How will I know, O sovereign groom? How do I know, O sovereign bride, that you will give these things to me? And you know what the bride and the groom do? They say, I'll sign. I'll sign. Because in our culture, when you sign, there's consequences if you break your word. Frankly, if you haven't signed, there's no consequences, except maybe the black eye uh, of that one person. But there's no real consequences until you sign. So some say, how do I know that you are going to give us this? You say, I'll sign. But not back then. Because, you see, 
Abram lived not in a written culture, but in an oral storytelling culture. And the way they made contracts was actually a lot more effective than the way we do. Because what they would do is whenever they made a contract and someone says, okay, you promised me this, how do I know you will do it? The way they would put themselves in a position where there were consequences for the brokenness of their word is that they would act out the consequence of unfaithfulness right before everyone. So, for example, let me, let me read you something that's pretty interesting. This is in Jeremiah 34. In Jeremiah 34, verse 18, we read this. This is what the Lord says. You have not obeyed me. The men who violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms they made, I will treat them like the calf they cut in two and walk between the pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem who walk between the pieces, I will hand them over to their enemies, and their dead bodies will become food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. Now... Do you realize what he's saying? In those days, the way you took an oath was not by signing. What would that mean? Here's what you would do. Is you would take an animal, you would slay it, you would cut it, put it down on the ground, and you would walk between the pieces, and this is what you were saying. You're saying, if I do not do everything that I am promising now, may I be cut off, may I be destroyed, may my flesh lay on the ground, to feed the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That's what you're doing. A fairly effective way, don't you think? You see, vivid, but when you did it, you were bound. You acted out the curse. Now, when Abraham was told, bring me all these pieces, he immediately knew what was going on. This was a covenant ratification ceremony. This was the making of a contract. He knew right away, and he figured, verse 12, as the sun was setting... Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, this is actually a little hard to understand. Does it mean he actually went into a sleep and he dreamed about it? On the other hand, down here in verse uh, 17, it says, Then when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. Evidently, it's almost like the darkness came over him. A darkness of heart, a darkness of mind. It was overwhelming. It crushed him to the ground. There was this unbelievable darkness, this unbelievable horror, this unbelievable terror. It was a dreadful darkness. And it came over him, and it put him almost into a kind of trance. And out of that dark cloud, God spoke about dark things. And he says, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers. And he, he explains to Abraham the history of his descendants, that they are going to be slaves. They're going to be exiles. They're going to be away from this land, and they won't come back for 400 years. But then, finally... In verse 17, And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot and a blazing torch appeared. Now, this smoking pot and blazing torch, nobody quite knows exactly how to translate this. It's very hard to know. But here's what we know. Something appeared, and these are the same words, the words for smoke and the words for blaze. And it's the same words used to describe the top of Mount Sinai when God came down on it years later. And the same words that were also used to describe the pillar of God's presence, the fiery cloud. You see, the pillar of God's presence, his raw Shekinah glory, sometimes looked like smoke. It was called a cloudy pillar. Sometimes it looked like fire. But here's what it was. It was severe. It was, it was the presence of God. And it was a pain to even look at it. And the best one I've ever heard to describe this was one minister who put it this way. He says, at that minute, suddenly... In the midst of the darkness, 
A searing streak of lightning appeared and held its shape. It spewed fire and smoke and sparks. It was the presence of God. But it wasn't just the presence of God that astonished Abram, but what it did. Look, verse 17, it passed between the pieces. It went down the aisle made by the pieces. And here's the reason this was so strange. This is so incredible. This is the gospel. This is the whole gospel. There is no place in the New Testament that gets as thoroughgoing as this. Here's what's going on. You see, there's always two problems with trusting God, with living confidently. There's always two problems with living a confident big life. Why is it that you and I aren't living the same kind of life that Abraham had? There's always two problems. The first problem is, Lord, how can I know about you? See, when Abraham says, Lord, how can I know? How can I know all these great things are going to happen? How can, I, how can I trust your promise? How can I know about you? How can I know you'll come through? And it's absolutely astonishing that what God does is he appears and he passes between these pieces. Do you now know what he's saying? Do you know what he's saying to Abraham? Do you know what he's saying to you? He is saying, I have promised to bless you, Abraham. I have promised to be your God and to bring salvation to the world. I promise to bless you. And if I don't do what I say, may my immutability experience mutation. May my immortality suffer mortality. May my infinity suffer limitation and finitude. May my power suffer powerlessness. May the impossible become possible. May I be cut off. May I be destroyed. May my body be ripped to pieces. God's saying this. Now, if you think that's amazing, it is, but that's not all. Because Abraham looks at God at this point, in a sense, and says what most of us say. Wow. All right. But that's not the only problem I've got with living a big life. Lord, how do I know about you? Fine. You've made this promise. How amazing, how wonderful that you've passed between the pieces, that you would make a promise like this. But you know, I guess when it comes right down to it, Lord, I guess I never really thought you would break your promise. Not really. The real problem is, how do I know, Lord, about me? Here you've given me this wonderful promise and you say you're going to do all this, but I don't, I don't think I can come through. You said, you will be my people, I will be your God. I believe you'll be my God, but how am I ever going to be your person? I will let me down. I will let you down. You will finally get tired of me. You will finally say, how many times will he break, will she break the promise? That's it. This is the 50th time. That's it. Finally, you will give up on me. How can I know about you? Well, now I know because you passed between the pieces. But how do I know about me? And here's the thing that Abraham knew and that we'll all know in a minute once we realize this. God walked through the pieces alone. He did not say, Abraham, now you do it. And let me tell you, this is absolutely, absolutely unique and stunning because we know this from history and archaeology, that whenever a king would enter into a covenant relationship with a, a vassal, a lesser king or a conquered king or a servant, whenever a king would enter into a covenant relationship with a, with a servant, either both the king and the servant would go through the pieces, both would say, if I don't do my part, that I, may I be as eaten by the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, or just the servant would go through. But when the king goes through by himself, this is what God is saying. God is saying, Abraham, I'm going to go through for both of us. This is the gospel. 
worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flows. Treasure, wellspring of my soul. 
You are now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour of our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to aid in the spiritual maturity of our listeners. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through internet broadcasting or through our CD delivery program. Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. All you have to do is search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries to listen to or download this week or past week's programs. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast.